Hello, welcome along to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for your company. And uh, thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, mortgage advisors extraordinaire based in Bury in Greater Manchester, uh, who are the sponsors of this podcast. Without them, there wouldn't be a podcast. So thanks very much to them, guys. If you go on their website, charleslouis.co.uk, you'll find a phone number. You can give them a call if you like. Have a look at what they do. On the, on the website anyway, but if you give them a call, you can speak to me if you've got any issues about getting mortgages, whether it be commercial or private property, selling or buying, they'll help you out. So thanks very much to them guys. Now, my special guest today is, uh, is a player I loved watching, absolutely loved watching. And um, because if you didn't know this already, my mum was German, I have a particular attachment to him as well, because of course he is 100% German, and that man is Uwe Rösler. Uh, welcome along, Uwe, and uh, thanks very much for joining us. Good evening. We've also got uh, Paul and Harlan, so that's our lineup tonight. Uh, Paul and Harlan, of course, regulars on the Forever Blue podcast. And we've got to start, of course, by talking about the Liverpool game. In fact, we can talk about all three games, really, because... Uh, we were in Paris this week, City. Uh, I was over there um, really enjoyed watching that game, even though City lost the match by two goals to nil. I thought it was a, another very good performance following on from the victory at Chelsea. And then the Liverpool game, what a thriller that was. And before I go any further, I've got to say that Mohamed Salah, what an absolute amazing goal that he scored. Uh, I was behind the goal in the City end. And uh, when that came towards me, the way he wriggled free, and put it in at a cute angle. You've got to acknowledge when the other team does something special. And that was uh, something really, really special. I'm so glad that I was there to see it. But overall, I thought City played very well. Uh, a lot of uh, sparkling performances. Again, Phil Foden, when he was playing on the left-hand side, I thought was electric. He's been given a lot of praise by a lot of people. Personally, I thought Bernardo Silva was City's star man. But overall, uh, another really, really good performance by City. Now, I know you watched that game, Uwe. Um, you, what, did you, what do you make of City generally and what did you make of that game at Anfield? Uh, I was so, so impressed uh, how City started. Um, Liverpool was a little bit disappointing, uh, but there was a lot up to City, how, how they were setting up tactically, technically, also mentally. The team had a fantastic first half um, Sitting deep in the beginning um, didn't allow that end-to-end -end game uh, would clearly benefit uh, Liverpool too early. So they um, they were sitting deep, winning the ball, and then was breaking very effectively. I think the pressing first uh, in mid-block, then later on in the first half high, pressing from out to in, pressing uh, let the centre-halves play the ball inside, where City had always three midfielders against three, and they were very aggressive, winning the ball. And I felt Liverpool... Liverpool didn't have tactically the answer, but also physically. They looked tired. They looked not up to their normal speed and aggression in the pressing. And uh, the only thing that was missing was from City that they being one or two nil up because they had two of uh, three or four big, big chunks, especially the one from Foden and the one from uh, De Bruyne. Uh, that was a shame, but uh, how City had started the game was tremendous. You think they should have won that game? Yes, um, I felt uh, Liverpool second half uh, got better. Uh, obviously, um, they found more energy. They, 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 they got the goal at the right time. I think the goal knocked City down a little bit. Uh, they needed a few minutes to recover uh, from that. And um, then uh, the second goal uh, came in and um, I felt the game then started up from the 75 minute to open up completely. I think that is a little bit the game what suits probably Liverpool more with their front three uh, than us, where we like it probably more controlled in a way and having ball possession. Uh, but I felt uh, coming back uh, from uh, two times being down um, overall or seeing the 90 minutes, I felt we were better, better than them. I know at the moment you're in between jobs, but essentially these days you're a manager. Um, for once, Pep Guardiola, after the game, when he was asked directly about whether James Milner should have been sent off, did actually say he thought the referee made a mistake. But I know that managers have to be quite careful in what they say sometimes because they don't want to be brought into disrepute. But the fact he was prepared to say that meant that just like all of us, and I assume you as well, Uwe, could, uh, could, couldn't really 
argue with the fact that at some point Milner should have been sent off. I mean, I counted at least three potential yellow cards that he should have had in that game. First and foremost, we, we have to say James Milner, um, we all, I think, uh, especially myself, we all regarding him very highly because he did a fantastic job uh, for our club. Yeah? Now he plays for Liverpool. Um, I think in general, I think... Uh, uh, Pep, uh, tactically, uh, that he started with Foden on that side, Bernardo Silva on that side. I think they targeted him. Um, uh, Pep had, you could really see that Pep had in certain in certain games, he has, uh, um, they're all good footballers, but they also have pressing players. And uh, when you saw, when you see him very often in, in, in the Champions League, uh, you saw him against Liverpool, they had the front, the front player, especially with Foden, and Jesus, uh, they are pressing players. They are they're not only good football players with the balls, and they do they are very effective uh, without the ball. Uh, and um, they obviously target Milner, and Milner was very early on on, on on yellow. And then in the second half, I mean, that was crystal clear. And uh, I felt what also the commentary said in Sky afterwards. I felt uh, that Liverpool played home. Uh, that made it happen. That Milner got away with it. Um, at any any neutral ground, that would have been the second yellow. Uh, and I think uh, we have to be honest um, uh, and also be clear to saying that and that the game would have probably gone in a different direction. Can't argue with that, Paul. Uh, give us your view then on uh, on the Liverpool game. Um, I'm I'm now afterwards. I'm disappointed we didn't win it. Um, you know, I'd have settled for a point. Um, before the game, uh, even a week ago, at the beginning of these important three games. Um, but having seen the way the game panned out, um, I'm, I'm really disappointed that most, there's a lot of us talking about the referee and Milner when we should be talking about the, you know, the, the magnificent Salah goal. You know, you've got, to, you've got to take your ass up when somebody scores a goal like that. You know, people were saying, oh, this defender should have done that. No, they shouldn't. It was a great goal and um, it's something Messi does week in, week out, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it was great to see a goal like that. We had some great performances ourselves. Um, but yeah, I feel a little bit, bit disappointed that we didn't we didn't win that game, and we we needed to, you know, put a put a couple of balls in the back of the net early doors. Sorry about that. The compressor just come on at work. I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> But overall, you you were pretty happy. I mean, uh, I must admit, it felt like a win. And I heard a couple of Liverpool players being interviewed afterwards admitting that they were really disappointed and perhaps they were feeling like it was a defeat. I mean, psychologically, to go win at Chelsea, to play so well at PSG, and then to go and get a point and probably deserve to win at Liverpool, but I Ian, think is a huge statement, isn't it? Ian, sorry to interrupt you. Remember uh, the Champions League semi-final? Yeah. Um, at Anfield, uh, the, the atmosphere, the emotions, and how Liverpool, we starting off in the bus came into the stadium, and then we starting, the next thing is how the game has started. And actually, it was quite flat this time at Anfield, and you don't expect that. It is one of the maybe the most difficult place to go in, in the Premier League. And to quieten that place and to nullify their attack. You have to give our players and our manager, who had set out a fantastic game plan, a massive compliment. I mean, I was in the middle of all the City fans, and I've got to say, they were singing throughout. The Liverpool fans, though, you're right, were quiet. And I sensed that... I even heard a couple of Liverpool fans before the game um, who passed me in the street saying, oh, we'll lose today to City. And I thought, wow, you know, we're going to Anfield here as Manchester City, and <laughs> their fans are expecting us to win. I mean, that tells you just how good this City team is. Um, Harlan, go on. What, what, what have you got to say on all this? Yeah, just um, just one of the best weeks um, in recent years, I think it's been performance-wise, Ian. Just the way that we've, we've, we've gone to Paris as well after Chelsea and we've, we've, been, we've, we've gone there with confidence. I think part of that came from what we did last, last year in the Champions League, um, the way that we, we beat them both times. I remember you asked me last year, how did I think we'd get on? Um, and I get called the eternal optimist, of course, but I was optimistic that we'd beat them over both legs last year and in both games, and we did do that. Um, I thought this time round that 
it might be a bit different because it's a completely different year. They've strengthened with Messi, etc. But we went there and I thought we were brave again. We weren't scared of them. We didn't care about the fact that they had a front three like they've got. And as we know now, after this weekend's result, they lost to Ren. So it does show you that if you go there um, or you play PSG with confidence, that if you can nullify them and you can show them you're not scared of them, that you can beat them. And performance-wise, I think we beat them. Scoreline-wise, we didn't. But, you know, Pep's a performance manager, performance coach as much as he is a results coach. And I think he was satisfied. And we built on the Chelsea result with the PSG and we took that into the Liverpool game. And I felt like we, we imposed ourselves first half, maybe sat off a bit second half at the start of the second half, showed him a bit too much respect. But um, overall, I think, again, it was... It was a real good end to a very, very positive City week. And I think, again, I think, was it Paul Arrube that said the press was fantastic, the intensity was brilliant. I think the way that we matched them up was fantastic. And, you know, when you've got star quality like Bernardo Silva and, um, you know, you've got your Phil Foden's that can show that street football on a, on a you know, football pitch the way he does, it's, you, know, you know, you're always going to be able to play a beautiful football. But... Just Bernardo's energy levels, Ian. You know, when Gundogan's not on the pitch, Bernardo's now stepping up and giving us that work rate and giving us that, that um, just that desire and that determination that you want from every player on the pitch. And with Bernardo, I mean, a lot of people are coming back round to the fort now. Of he's turned. I don't think he's ever gone away. I think the Mendy stuff probably caused him a bit of an issue. Um, he looks now back to his best and he's sharp, he's fit. And the 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 out and out quality that, that guy shows. I mean, was that David Silver on the pitch yesterday, or was it was it was it Bernardo Silver? Because there was passages yesterday where you thought, you know, was David returned from Sociedad or something here? Like it, it was it was majestic, it was brilliant, and it was everything that we we saw him do for Monaco against us. I think we've got a star, and the best bit of business we did in summer. I heard a guy say it on the vlog yesterday, and I said it myself the other week. The best bit of business we did this summer wasn't bringing Jack Grealish in as good as he is. It was keeping all the Bernardo Silva for me. Well, Pep lavished a lot of praise on him as well. And I suppose when you were playing, Uwe, the, the best thing that you could do is receive that type of praise from your manager. I mean, he was he was gushing. I mean, he was describing him as, you know, just the perfect footballer for three big games in a row. Is he key to City now this season? Uh, he was key uh, quite some time ago. Last year, you had... Um... A period where where um, he was in and out of the team, but before that, and especially now on what we have seen, the level of performance is, uh, like Harlan said, is, uh, is is David Silva. I mean, with the ball, but also especially without the ball. I think a lot of people underestimating his work rate, what he does without the ball, how he pressurizes, how he uh, how he closing down people, how he condensing spaces. And obviously, for everyone to see what he does with the ball. Um, for me, uh, like I said, the best business of the year was to keep him. I couldn't believe when people said he might believe and he asked for, for a transfer. I couldn't believe it uh, because I think Bernardo Silva, in that form, is irreplaceable for us. Obviously, here, the, the front three yesterday started with... Foden on the left, Grealish in the middle and Jesus on the right. I know it's a bit more fluid than that in the way that Pep's team plays. Uh, I was a little bit surprised, I can't deny, to see Jack Grealish playing in that central role after he's hogged the left-hand touchline. But I actually thought that was Phil Foden's best game for City uh, that I've ever seen, actually. I mean, I've seen him play really well for the EDS and the under-18s earlier in his career. But I thought that was a, a really good performance, particularly when he was on out on the left. Now, we also know that Raheem Sterling likes to play on the left and cut in, or at least that's where he's been playing. The fact that G Jack Grealish has come in now, is that a problem? Because Grealish likes to play in that role. Foden looks very effective in that role. Raheem Sterling isn't getting into the team. I know he got in late on down the middle, but there's three players there essentially all wanting to play on the same side. Is that a problem, Uwe? Um, I, wouldn't call, I wouldn't say it's a problem. I, I would turn it into a positive. I said it gives the manager... Uh, such a sort of flexibility in his in his game plans, in his selection of type of players uh, for certain type of games. Um, I don't think you will see uh, from the front players a player who will play every game. I mean, um, you will see a rotation. You will see uh, game different game plans from game to game. 
um, and that required uh, different type of players. Um, I honestly, I always said it, and I will say it again, and it's not a, it's not a criticism whatsoever, um, because I was a number nine, and I would have loved to get a number nine in. Uh, Pep said, um, fantastic game at PSG, but we didn't score. And that is exactly where I think over a long distance in the season, and a proper number nine, especially uh, uh, like Harry Kane, like Harry Kane had played under Mourinho, he not always played the number nine to be the last man on the line. He also dropped the midfield to be a number 10 to create a diamond in the midfield and coming them from deeper position into the box. So he could he, he could play that way like false number nine, like uh, Pep very often liked to play. Um, but we couldn't get him and it's history now. And uh, I just want to say we have a, a lot of players who can play on the left, but that also gives us a lot of options uh, in general for the front players with Kralish coming in. City are playing really well at the moment and getting great results, so it seems almost a bit churlish to uh, to criticise, but I've heard lots of people, uh, you're not the first to say that City should have signed a striker. Um, did they make a mistake, you think, by putting all their eggs in one basket, uh, to use a, an English metaphor, you know, to go for one particular player and then miss out on him when... Alan Shearer on Match of the Day, I think it was him that said it, um, but he, what somebody certainly of that type of profile said that even, a, and, and this is no insult to him, but even Danny Ings or, you know, another type of striker who would have cost considerably less would have given City such a dimension. And I've even heard people suggesting that Liam Delap should be being played, even though he's untried really at that level in the first team, but just to give them a point of attack. Are you... Is that the way you're thinking, Uwe? First and foremost, uh, this is not the point of criticism, and I made that clear. This is just the point of preference, you know, and every every person, people in, supporters, managers, colleagues, whoever we call it, have always a preference of how you would like to play and what you would like to see. Uh, obviously, it's not a point of criticism whatsoever to a manager who's the best manager in the world. So... Uh, for me, you ask me about this left-hand side, and I think we have a lot of options there, a lot of very good options, top options, um, and we're lacking, from my opinion, um, on the long term, maybe on the number nine position. Uh, and this is why also Manchester City tried to get Hurricane in. They actively tried. But we don't know the, the internals. We don't know... Um, what's going on behind the scenes in terms of finances, in terms of uh, communication between the clubs. So, um, and then it's very, very difficult for us to judge people. Um, and for me, uh, I personally would have loved to see Hurricane uh, because he would have at guarantee goal, tell you from 20 to 30 goals. And he also has the best years ahead of him still another four or five years ahead of him. And like Pep had shown with so many players, he wouldn't even improve personally as a player. And, um, and for me, um, I personally would have had that done, but I'm, I'd be far away from criticizing anyone at the club for not bringing him in because I don't know the in and outs. Well, before I ask the other two their views on that subject, while we're on the subject of strikers, um, you were obviously a striker yourself. Um, who who are the other strikers that you've either played against or or even with who you rate particularly highly and why? And the reason I ask it like that is because Pep's been lavishing a lot of praise on Raheem Sterling, even though some City fans have been a little frustrated with him. And the praise is always centred around the type of movement that Sterling has, that he's, he, he described his movement as being sensational. Um, so on, with that, in your, in your mind, who are the best strikers you've played with and, you know, uh, you've admired from afar, maybe? Um, I think um, um, the selection of the central striker is is uh, in Pep's, uh, I guess so, uh, is in Pep's uh, thoughts, is depending a little bit on the opposition. Uh, are, we, are we facing opposition who stays in a low block, very, and um, you have lots of tight areas, um, not much room in behind. 
that require a different type of striker than when you stay in mid-block um, and you have a lot of spacing behind. So he has players with different attributes um, and I think that makes it so unpredictable and that is also a strength of Manchester City now. Nobody knows with what sort of striker uh, white players they're coming now with, you know, and, uh, uh, and this, is, this flexibility can also be a massive point uh, regaining the title this year, yeah? But in general, on the long term, I think the club need to find uh, for this top, top level, world-class level, uh, a number nine and then build the team a little bit around that number nine. A little bit like, a little bit like, uh, like Chelsea did uh, with Lukaku. Um, but different, different managers, different thoughts, different ideas. So in football, you, you, in many ways, goes, uh, goes to Rome. You're not only one. Great answer, but he still didn't tell me who your favourite striker oh, was. Oh, my favourite. Okay. Yeah, I have to say, my answer is, um, I have to say, I played with um, Paul Walsh. Paul Walsh's movement, um, I, it, was, it was incredible. And because there was, we have coached a lot. We set up in a formation, uh, Brian, Brian Horton, a very, very good manager, gave us confidence, he gave us a certain guidance, how he wants us to play. But on the pitch, we figured it out with ourselves about chemistry, about relationships, when to run, where to run, who's doing this, who's doing that. It was a lot about talking to each other, finding out about each other. And, um, and I felt I never had a, a relationship to any other player in my career better than Paul Walsh. And Paul Walsh was a player, he played for Liverpool, he played for England. Uh, um, he was he was he was quality pure quality uh, with the ball and also without the ball and um, uh, I have to say a top man. I knew you were going to say Paul Walsh and that's what I sort of <laughs> led you into it with the uh, the Raheem Sterling question. But uh, Paul and and uh, Harlan, tell us what you think about the striker situation. I mean, City scoring goals. Uh, you know, six against Leipzig, five against Arsenal, five, six against Wickham. You know, they've got plenty of goals. They even scored two at Anfield against Liverpool. I mean, that's not a mean feat, really. Uh, did you see a lack of a striker as an issue? Let's start with you, Paul. Um, I personally don't. I just think would it'd be nice to have a plan B. Um, I'd like to see us have a striker for a plan B. But the way football is at the moment, you, you, these players don't want to sit on the bench. They want to be playing. And, and unless we bring a striker in to, to predominantly use as a plan B, um, you know, if it's not quite working and you can change it round in, on the 60th minute or, or, or whatever. Um, so I, it, it, going off that pretense, I think if we could get somebody like the lap, young, you know, the, the young lad to, to learn his craft by coming off the bench for the first team and, you know, having to sit a lot of games out when he's not needed, but when he is needed to come on, you're not going to get a Harry Kane or, you know, a, a world-class striker who's going to want to do that. You know, you, like Uwe said, you're going to have to build a team around the striker. And I don't think Pep's ever going to do that. Um, you think, Paul, Paul, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. Uh, you. You don't think um, Pep was very strongly behind the idea to bring Harry Kane in? Um, you know what? I don't, I don't know, Pep, but I, I don't think he was. If I'm being honest, I, I, re I really don't think he was. Okay. Um, I, I think he's, he, he's very stubborn, Pep. He's, he, he doesn't like changing things. I know he has a change. He has adapted over the years. Um, I think he's had to, um, but he's very stubborn, and it, and, and I think he's, he's, he's setting his ways with this. I think the only way we're going to be asked, you know get him to change his mind, if you like, is have a striker on the bench that we can bring off. And then maybe he starts thinking, oh, hang on a minute, I could bring this player on. I just don't think he's a striker out there that he thinks can do the job that he would like um, a, a number nine to do. Um, I think we, I think we, you know, the lap's the classic case where we could mould that young lad into what Pep wants. Maybe not, you know, maybe not him. Maybe another one of the younger, younger lads um, give them a chance because they'd be happy to sit on the bench and to come off the bench and, and, and play that way. You're not going to get um, a £100 million striker 
because uh, that's what it's going to cost to get the top strikers who's going to sit on the bench and, you know, they're going to have to d- d- do the business week in and week out and, and warrant that price tag. So I think the only chance we've got is to get a young lad and, and mould him into that role, maybe. You're taking us in an interesting direction there, actually, because City spent £100 million on Jack Grealish and since he's come, he's played in every game, he's started every game. And you do start to wonder whether rotation is more difficult when you've signed a player for £100 million. And you suggested that um, Pep didn't, wasn't necessarily the man who was tub-thumping for Harry Kane. And from what I understand, um, Jack Grealish was a Chiki Begiristein signing, you know, a player that mm-hmm. he really wanted and really admired. Uh, and now Pep has him in his team. Now, this isn't a discussion as to whether Jack, or you can take it in this direction if you want, as to whether Jack Grealish is good enough or not. But the point is that when you brought a player in for £100 million, it, does it make it more difficult to then drop him? So at the moment, is squad rotation more difficult? I mean, if you notice, which is very unusual for City, they played the same team at Chelsea and then the same team again against Liverpool. I know there was a slight tweak in midweek, but never would they have done that before. And then you look at somebody like Sterling, maybe you look at Riyad Mahrez, you wonder what would have happened if Gundogan had been fit. And does there start to be the seeds of a little bit of unhappiness about some of the players within the squad because they don't all play in these in these big games. Um, do you want to take that one, Hannah Harlan? Yeah, I do. Hundred um, percent. I think it's difficult when you've got when you've got so many amazing ingredients. Um, you know, you can't throw them all in a pot and expect to pull out the perfect chili con carne, can you? Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like you, you can't just chuck a load of amazing ingredients in and expect to be able to create the perfect dish. Um, you know, you've got to you've got to select and you've got to hope that whatever you select turns into the most perfect dish. I think just going back to what Uwe said, um, Brian actually reciprocates what you thought of him as a manager, Uwe, from when he spoke to us on the podcast one time. You were one of his star men as well. So uh, obviously, if we could have someone like yourself up front that was mobile, then maybe we'd be able to satisfy what Paul's looking for in more of a, a striking role. I think the, the one thing with Harry Kane as well is, just going back to that, Ian, is that I think Pep, Pep likes him and Pep wanted his goal-scoring attributes. But I think the only reason for wanting to bring Kane in was because we were losing Aguero. And I don't think Pep believed that giving Aguero the two years that he wanted was worthwhile with the injury history that he's got. And Harry has also got similar injury history with his, with his ankle and whatnot. But I think... It was more a case of one out, one in with regards to a striker rather than us actually needing one based on how we were currently deploying the likes of Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez at times, Phil Foden as a false nine. I think it was more like um, a requirement really rather than rather than an actual tactical signing. Um, if you're to look at it, you know, on a 60-40, 70-30 balance. But... Um, on the Grealish thing as well. What about squad rotation, though, Harlan? I mean, you know, Grealish well, well, is coming as this, you know, and if City had signed Kane, and I think this is what Paul was getting at, then Kane doesn't want to sit on the bench some of the games. No. Grealish doesn't want to sit on the bench some of the games. So does the squad rotation that was so successful last season, does that, that, that go out of the window now and cause another type of problem because not everybody's not happy? Well, I think Pep, all day yesterday, I think Pep, and even the night before, and Uwe knows better than all of us what it, you know, how much Pep was into a, a match, especially when you played in midweek, in a, a, you know, in Uwe's case, a, a League Cup game or an FA Cup game, whatever it may be, and you've got to take the weekend into account, of course, as well. I think Jack has played a lot of games this season, and I think, for me, yesterday, from watching him, I don't really feel like he was in the game that much. I felt like he was just on the pitch for the sake of being on the pitch. I don't really feel like his influence was as needed or was as um, impactful as maybe it was last year when Villa beat them 7-2 and he was massively involved in, in that result with Ollie Watkins and, um, and you know, the, the, the likes of, um, you know, the, the, the other forward players in that team, you know, your Ghazis and whatnot. But you look at Jack yesterday and he looked like a lost puppy at times. Um, not quite sure how to, how to play in that false nine role as much as, say, you, you know, you're... Your, your Sterlings, your Fordens, your, your Marises, your whoever it may be. And I think that Pep played him because he wanted his attributes to be on the pitch, but didn't and didn't want him to not be involved 
But I don't think he was ever really going to be able to play on the left because Foden was always going to take up them positions. So for me, it was almost like he played on, he played on, you could say he played merit in a sense. I think he played for the sake of playing yesterday rather than because he was actually going to affect the game. I think it would have been much more beneficial if we would have maybe played Torres um, and Foden could have could have stuck on that left-hand side and, and Torres would have been able to give them something in behind to worry about. The other thing as well is he probably played it because he worried Van Dijk last year and he probably thought Jack would cause them a hell of a lot of problems again. But he's in a City shirt now, not a Villa shirt. The game was different, etc. But I think rotation-wise, Pep's starting to see something click now. And I think that's the reason why he's reluctant to change things. Um, you don't want to affect momentum. If players are playing well together, you don't want to in, you know, interrupt that, that progression. You don't want to start causing um, you know, unrest. But you're going to cause unrest by not playing players that really want to play. So I think he's got a really difficult job. Um, is the manager. He knows what it's like to have players knocking on your door, maybe, and, and saying, I want to play, I want to play, Gaffer. And you can't play everybody. If you could play 22 players a week, it'd be you know the best job in the world, of course. But the headaches come when you've got such a selection problem, which I think Pep's got. And I think you know there are going to be a couple of players probably leaving next summer. Um, it's just a matter of who, who they may be. And um, I hope one of them isn't Bernardo Silva. How do you deal with that problem, Uwe? <laughs> uh, very, very, very interesting points. Um, I don't know where to start first. Um, I just see a pattern in the way Pep is using... Um, so remember a couple of years ago, um, or one year ago, uh, when Phil Foden only played in the Champions League and in the Premier League, he wasn't used at all. And we all ask ourselves, why? Um, I think it's a clear pattern to see when, when Pep plays opposition top opposition in Champions League and top opposition in the Premier League, he needs wide players who do both ways, attacking and defending. So that's point one. This is why Phil Foden is one of the best pressing players uh, and footballers, uh, young players in England. So this is why he's playing those big games. There's another, another teams when you play against opposition where you know they're parking the bus in front of their own box. But then running backwards is not the issue. Then it's more how you, how you combine in tight areas, how you how you finding solutions in very tight areas. Then it's maybe another type of player more useful. Yeah. So this is why I felt uh, Jesus, who is very effective as well, and Phil Foden were for me clear that they tried to nullify their attacking fullbacks from Liverpool. And they did that very effectively and turned defense into attack, especially on Milner's side, very effectively. Um, I'm agree that uh, that uh, Jack, who I personally think is a fantastic player, and when I talked about in the first place about Harry Kane, there was no criticism or not uh, this empathy for, for Jack. I think Jack is a fantastic footballer and he will get better and he makes the team better. Yeah, And there was a game where he played a little bit out of position, but it's a learning curve for him as well. He's 26 years old. Uh, he will put, he will be taken out of his comfort zone by Pep in order to improve as a player. And that is not working overnight. There will be maybe some very good performance, some average performance, and maybe some not so good performances, but on the way he will improve. And I felt he wanted to cover the sides uh, with, with players who are equally as good going forward and backwards, and that's what he did. And he wanted Jack on the pitch, who probably uh, been very good on the ball, keep the ball, uh, take fouls of the opposition. He was the most fouled player in the Premier League. And when you be at Enfield, sometimes you need to take, to take the tempo out of the game because when when it's going end to end, that, that probably Liverpool is the best team uh, in the Premier League. So that was probably. A little bit uh, the thinking about playing Jack in that un unusual position, yeah. But coming back of of the point uh, with the number nine, and that is the last thing I said with the number nine. Uh, going back now over the last years, um, which teams has been winning the leagues and the and and the Champions League? What sort of strikers they had? Talk about. Lewandowski in Bayern Munich. Talk about Ronaldo or Benzema, Real Madrid. Talk about Lukaku, 
for Inter Milan. Very effective. Yeah, a fantastic play. So I personally think to have some sort of fixed point in the team and not try to change your attacking from game to game, to have one, one fixed player there, in my opinion, I would be very feel very safe as a, as a manager and very, very comfortable to have somebody who guarantees me throughout the year 20 to 30 goals. The example you've given, which is all spot on, I'll, I'll counter that. I'll give you the, the, the devil's advocate, because obviously City last year didn't have Aguero as much as they would have wanted. So they didn't have as much of a point of attack last year as they've had in previous years. But what about Liverpool with Firmino as the nominal striker and Mane and Salah either side of him? I wouldn't really describe any of those three. You, you correct me if I'm wrong, Uwe, because you're much more knowledgeable than I am. But I would say that those three are not dissimilar to the type of three that City are playing, i.e. no old-fashioned, out-and-out out point-of-attack striker. They're very mobile, attacking players, aren't they? But what you have there is you have a guaranteed player who scores 20 to 30 games with, with Mo Salah. And we having, this year, we having nine different goal scorers. What is a strength? What the absolute is a strength, because we're very unpredictable, but over a course of a whole year, I think it would be very, very useful to have to have somebody in, like I mentioned, these players before, that you know they give you when they stay fit, twenty to thirty goals. Harlan, yeah, um, on that then, Uwe, but based on what what Paul said uh, a bit ago, then with, with Liam Delat, um, isn't that then the perfect player to to now see whether Pep can go back to to playing that that kind of football? Then now, like Paul said, have Liam on the bench during the League Cup game at West Ham, for example. It was confusing, really, because he played in the under-23s game um, on the same night that we played against Wickham, but wasn't in the team. And I, I expected to see Liam play that night. Um, Dorsey, as well, was another player that played in the 23s that night, who I thought maybe on the on the bench for City that night. And Pep kind of went with, surprisingly for me, I mean, I thought the Wickham front line would probably be a mix of youth and... And for, but he actually went with a really strong front line in that game and a very strong midfield as well and basically played a, a back four of young young lads who did quite well with Akifemer, of course. But I just think Liam Delap isn't he isn't appearing on the bench that often. So if he was, it would kind of give us that foresight into how we would then be able to use players like Jack, players like Ferran, players like Phil, players like Raheem and, and mould them around somebody that is the stature, um, the build and the instinctive striker type that I believe Liam can and will be. Um, almost like a foresight into what Haaland could be or somebody like that in the future. Um, because Aguero, you know, back in 2011, 2012, 13, 14 under Pellegrini was much more of a number nine than he was at any time under Pep, in my opinion. Or after that period where he was dropping deep, he was picking up the ball. Pep kind of, like you said about Jack Uwe, took him out of his comfort zone. There was a lot of tabloid news and a lot of fans saying, is Aguero unhappy because Pep's putting him in positions that he maybe isn't used to being in or doesn't want to be in? So Aguero was never really an out-and-out -out number nine under Pep at any time, I don't believe, but yet we're still doing what you said Salah does and still scoring you know, a lot of goals. I think Liam would be the perfect player now to to suss out whether we actually need an out-and-out striker or not, and also force the other players that are creative in our side to have to play into, like you were saying, a front man, to know whether it's that approach or the one that we're currently on that, that is the best going forward. The only thing I would say to that is that I was aware that Liam Delap had an injury. Um, at one point, it was thought he could be out for as long as three months, mm -hmm. and my guess is, I don't know this as a fact, that the reason why he didn't play against Wickham and was involved in the under-23s was because he's not properly match fit yet. And I wonder if we might see him then at West Ham uh, in a few weeks, you know, when he's more perhaps up to speed. Um, I don't know if you, you've seen Liam Delapuve or have any uh, no, sort of opinion uh, on him. unfortunately not. Um, obviously, Corona, the last two years, I've uh, not been over. Um, and um, I can't really talk about young Delap because I've, I have not seen him. I know his dad really well. I played with his dad in South yeah. Africa together. <laughs> um, 
but um, I, I saw clips and bits and pieces from him, but I, I cannot really have an opinion about is that a new Phil Foden? Uh, the only thing what I can say is in general is um, this number nine or this this main vocal point of attack. Uh, this doesn't need always be a central. This can also be, for me, it's more, more Salah a really fix, fix, figure point in the Liverpool attack, you know? And uh, um, I'm not sure um, the lab, I think to, to break through a city in such a central position um, is very, very difficult to, uh, to make a big step from EDS into starting Premier League games, uh, going into Champions League games and having the expectation on your shoulders. Um, I think that is a, this is a massive, a massive step. Uh, Phil Foden, it took him quite some time, but I think Pep, have, Pep has shown a great pathway for him and how he used him. And sometimes people got a little impatient, um, probably not Phil so much, but people around asking, why is he not playing? And so, but I think in the end, Pep had prepared him absolutely the right way. But I think that is, uh, this is, uh, this is, it's not. It's not happened every every two or three years with a young player. I think Phil Foden, like we all know, is something special. And um, I don't know young Delap, so I don't know. Is that the one? Is that the next Phil? I I hope it will be because um, our academy does great work with young players, and obviously we all want to see the next young Phil Foden knocking on the door and be part uh, of games and sitting on a bench and coming on and and gradually grow into that team. Just before I ask you all about City's uh, title hopes now, having played these three games and got these three results and great performances, let me just ask you Uwe, a couple of questions about yourself. I mean, you've, you're a very experienced manager now. You've, you've managed um, you know, different clubs in different countries. Um, how do you feel your, at the moment, you're in between jobs, aren't you? But how do you feel your career has, has progressed now? Do you feel you're getting to where you want to get to and that you, have you got ambitions that are really up there or where do you see yourself in the future? Uh, yeah, I, I went through my CV because I prepared my, I prepared my CV again and then I got a little bit shocked because, uh, I have nearly 600 games, uh, competitive matches, league and league and uh, and uh, cup games. So, 17 years as a as a coach in in several countries. Um, I think um, it's quite some time. Uh, I was always uh, when I lost a job, I was always quick in, got to the new one. Um, now I have a little bit of break, and I have to say the break it does me good. Um, after such a long time working in that, uh, in that, um, yeah, in the trenches, you know, the bullets flying left and right, and you have to survive. So, no, um, I think uh, I got a real taste of um, European football in Malmo. I think my 18 months in Malmo was fantastic. I think uh, we, the most, we having the most um, winning percentage ever in the history of Malmo FF uh, in that. 18 months, um, especially our European campaigns, two times into the group stages and out of the group stages qualified for the knockout stages. There was something special. And obviously on that level, I want to go back to uh, because I got the real hunger and real aspiration to go back. I fully filled my dream after I left Malmö on my own behalf. Uh, I fully filled my dream to coach and manage in the Bundesliga. Of course, I took over a team of bottom in the league and... Um, but I felt in my age, I'm not anymore the youngest coach. Um, um, I don't know how many chances to come around to manage in your own country on the highest level. So I did that for 18 months till my contract expired. And um, last season, we finished fifth. Uh, um, I think it was a decent season. Uh, but uh, we went different ways. And um, I understand the club. Uh, for Corona, was also big implications now. Uh, on the club and um, and we agreed both to go separate ways. This is it's not a problem because my contact was running out. At the moment, I'm have a little break, recharge, educate. I'm working a lot in the media. Um, I think the media um, keeps me really up to speed with the modern game. Gives me up to speed uh, uh, with tactical. Uh, 
with, with new tactical things in football, also networking, meeting people, educating yourself and being being very close by. I work a lot pitch side, um, what was not uh, possible before. So it has a lot of positives, but I see my future uh, in coaching again. And um, I had several offers already, but I felt this time I didn't want to do dive in immediately in, in something. Um, I wanted to have a little bit of break. I'm now in Mallorca with my wife. My wife is happy now to have me a little bit home and doing my media work. And um, I think in 2022, uh, I'll be back working. Well, I've got two questions that follow up on that then. Um, obviously, you were born in the east of Germany. I know it's not East Germany anymore. When you look at the climb of uh, RB Leipzig, and I know that uh, Dresden is another club that has had a bit of a resurgence, do you ever think it'd be lovely to go back and manage in the east of, you, uh, east of Germany, or are you now such a multicultural man of the world rather than a, an East German that, that, that has no real appeal to you? Um. RB Leipzig is not it's not the club where I come from in Leipzig. So I come from Lokomotiv Leipzig and um, I actually have been a, a lifelong fan from Chemie Leipzig. So that is where I come from, Leipzig. So RB Leipzig is not my home. You're telling me you wouldn't um, take the job if they offered it, yeah? Um, I don't think that will offer again to me anyway. So um, so I don't think uh, there's... I, I don't need to worry about that. So... Um, Interesting that you mentioned Dynamo Dresden, um, also Magdeburg uh, and Hansa Rostock. Hansa Rostock promoted in the second Bundesliga. I think you could see now uh, in the East, um, clubs get stabilized, um, having better infrastructure, new stadiums, and um, uh, the, the supporters, the population in the East, they, they love their football and they obviously, they... They are probably a little bit more hungry after Bundesliga football, second Bundesliga football, than probably is in other parts of Germany. So when you see the tendencies in those for those clubs, they are mind blowing. Uh, Dynamo Dresden is every game is sold out, uh, and uh, every game you can't get a ticket. So um, that has obviously a big attraction for me as well. But I'm not targeting special clubs because you can't do that in my profession. So. Um, I concentrate on German football. I like German football. There was a, there was a, a big challenge for me uh, coming from so many years working in England, going over to German football, uh, tactically, physically, mentally. The game uh, it was different for me. Uh, I had to learn a lot. Um, in Sweden, I had to learn a lot how an how a underdog um survive and have success in Europe when you're playing against teams with 10 times or 100 times bigger budget than you have. Um, so in all my different countries I worked with, I learned a lot. And um, I will see where I'm ending up. But obviously Germany and England is always my main markets where, where I proved myself. And that is where I hope to work again. I know that ultimately a city is very central to your being as a person. I know how much it matters to you and mattered to you. Is there any way in the future you can see yourself ever coming back to city in any role? I don't know. This is a very difficult question. Of course, um, everybody knows um, my affection to city and, um, and, um, the club has been very loyal to me and my family over many, many years. And I also see myself very loyal to the club over many years. And I love to, I, I love everything what had, what had happened in the last 10, 15, 20 years at the club. And uh, uh, especially the, the football we're playing now on the PEP and the success we have over the last 10 years in terms of, in terms of titles, in terms of silverware um, is, is unbelievable. Um, um, but I think I don't, coming on the question, I want to coach. I don't think I will be the manager or the head coach of Manchester City. I can tell you that. I don't think that will happen. Uh, but you never know. Um, I always keep in touch. Uh, but in the moment, I, uh, I see myself uh, searching for a new challenge for, um, yeah, a new challenge with a new club um, and for the right project. And... Um, yeah, and we see where that will be. You need to stabilise. 
Hmm? You need to sta- stabilise Schalke and get them back into the uh, the Bundesliga. That's what you need to do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Before before I come back to Uve again, because uh, uh, I'll, I'll leave him to the last in this, um, just to, to finish off now, uh, I looked at these three games. I know it was a win, a draw and a defeat, but I must say that I came away from those three games feeling more confident than I felt before the three games that City... And, and, and I'm not one for, you know, making predictions or saying, oh, this is all done and it's a done deal and everything. But I looked at the mentality, the mentality, as well as the, you know, the ability of, of going into those games and doing what they did, which is outplay the opposition, certainly in two of them, and arguably in the, the third one that they lost as well. And think, City are going to win the league this year. Um the title is a different thing, though, than the Champions League, which is the ultimate thing to aim for, because the Champions League is a cup competition. And you can have an off day, you can have a player sent off, you can have a key player injured, and you, you can fail in the Champions League. But do you, do you two, um, let's start with you, Harlan, this time, you know, do, do you feel as confident as I do? I know you say you missed the optimism, but... I'm very, very optimistic now that City is certainly going to win the league this year. What, what do you think? Ian, we were on our way to uh, to Wimbledon and you asked me in the car as you went past Brentford Stadium, um, do you think we're going to win the league? And I said, yeah. Um, there's a lot of people looking at what Chelsea did last season when they brought Timo Werner in and they brought Ziyech in and they brought loads of players in and said, look, Chelsea are going to win the league. We came back, we fought mentality-wise, we were there. And then we, we 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 kind of left off in in February and won the league. I I believe Chelsea have strengthened. Um, how could they not have done? Lukaku's a quality player, somebody that I would have taken. Um, and Liverpool are undoubtedly going to be up there. United have brought Ronaldo in. I don't think they're going to be near us um, come the end of the season. Uwe can probably add to this, but I think that the reason why I'm glad now that we didn't sign Ronaldo is because I believe that we are such a side that doesn't ever want to become a side that relies upon a player. We do rely on De Bruyne at times when we need to be be dug out of trouble or when we do need somebody to to get things going on the counter when we may be slogging and and, and not really at our best. But I don't think we rely on him too much now. Other players step up. We don't channel our player through one player, and I think that's the beauty of us. If Ronaldo would have come in, it would have been a hindrance, wouldn't have won the league. Uh, That's what I believe, because I just believe that like happened at Juventus, they scored, I think it was 25% less goals with Ronaldo in the team as a team because he scored the goals and the rest of the players didn't get in on the act. And that's why I believe that that he would have impacted on us. We will win the league because, like you just said, mentality-wise, I think we've got it. We proved it in 18-19 when we came back from, from where we were. Uh, 14 games on the bounce, we won. It was a tremendous end to the season. We won it. We We... You know, got to the Champions League final last year. There was lots of strain on us in terms of amount of games and the fact we were on for a quadruple as well, that we found our way through when Gary was on with us and you asked, could we win the quadruple? We nearly, nearly got there and won the Champions League. Um, and I just think there's, there's players in there, Ian, that, that, that have it within them. Ruben Diaz, you know, chest thumper, Vincent Company-esque type stuff that he does. You've got Fernandino in there, proper character, proper football player, doesn't let anybody slack off in midfield. And then you've got forward players that have got outrageous amounts of talent. Um, and Pep is, he's, he's an obsessive. He is um, thorough. He is excited and he's angry. And I, and I like that. And that's why these players won't slack off for more than one week because the expectations are too high. I think we'll win the league. I think we'll win the League Cup again. FA Cup's always one of them that you've just got to be at the best at that moment in time in. And the Champions League is a lottery, of course. But I think that the upset of last year will be the thing that maybe gets us over the line this time round. But like you said, it's a lottery. You can have an injury like we had last year and uh, it can affect you. But yeah, we're going to do it. We'll do it again, no problem. What is your optimism, Paul? How high on the scale are you? Forgot what the question was. <laughs> Are City going to win the league? Do you feel more optimistic because of the three, the three performances that we've just seen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, any 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 team that um, is going to beat City to the title this year is going to be after to something special 
and I've not seen it yet anywhere in the prem. You know, in the Premier League, I've not seen it from any team yet. There's, there's too many. You know, we've been consistent. I know. I know we we've, we've played consistently well. We've not had any sort of really bad games, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, we've lost games that really we should have won and things like that. Uh, it's it's a tough one because we're always fighting on all fronts, and when we, when you're doing that. It, it becomes a bit a lot more difficult because you've got to do your rotation. You can't have the players playing every week, week in, week out. I know people say, you know, and Uve will back me up on this, is that, you know, they're not machines. Um, it's physical tiredness. And to, to play at an elite level like this, you've got to have recovery time. You, you know, you, your mind and your body need to, to rest. So just because they're on 100, 200,000 pounds a week does not mean that, you know, they can play at an elite level every single game, you know, three, two or three times a week. They, they can't do it. Um, so, yeah, I think, we, I, I think we'll win the league. I'm, really, I'm very confident having seen, you know, what we've just played. We've played against a team that parks the bus in Chelsea. We've played against Paris Saint-Germain again. You know, great, great, three great players in that team. Similar to Liverpool's uh, front three, um, and we played Liverpool, and we've come away with very positive results. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, I think it's looking great to win the league and hopefully two cups. Final word to you then, Uve. Um, you know what, what? What's your optimism level for City this season? I'm always optimistic. Uh, because I see the progression the club does on all fronts. So, uh, sign a very good player on Czech Grealish, um, keeping their main players um, in-house. Um, I'm very optimistic we started this season much better than last year. Um, I felt, uh, looks like for me, the mentality and the spirit and the climate in the team looks for me uh, very positive in the moment. Um, players buying into this rotation principle because I, I honestly believe when you sign for City or you sign for a club for that stature uh, somehow you need to agree that there will be that you not start every game and that you you have to keep yourself mentally and physically but it's more the mental side uh, always so in um, in a position that when you're stepping up on that field, that you're then playing to your best ability. Yeah? And then you're not saying, oh, I need two or three games to come up to speed. So, and that is the key uh, for rotation, you know, because um, some players need a more rhythm of play. They need to play more often to get the best out of it. And some players, they, they're swapping in and out. And I think that's very important that we keep doing that because like Pep's Pep style of play is very demanding. Uh, with, with the ball and without the ball, uh, you need to you need to be a very fit team. By saying that now, everything looks very promising. Um, but in my opinion, the Premier League is too strong that we can sit here today uh, with with so many uncertainties and and uh, and hurdles who we have to manage till the end of the season to predict that we will win the league. So I will go far away from doing that. I wish we're doing it, and I think we are in a great position today. We're sitting here today. Uh, we are in a great position um, to regain the title, and I hope we will retain the title. But we can't predict that we will win the, the league. I think this year the league is so strong. I think Chelsea will not fall off. Uh, Chelsea, uh, there will be, there will be, in my opinion, with Liverpool, that will be the two main competitors for us this year. Uh, you can't write off Man United. They are, they play a little bit different, uh, but you can't write them off. So between the, those four teams, um, I think uh, the winner will come from. And I think we put ourselves in a very, very good position to be in the end there, but we can't predict that we will definitely win the league. Uh, we need to also having certain things going our way when we talk about injuries and uh, when we're also talking about... Um, then um, draws in in Europe, you know the the results in Europe sometimes can also mentally affect your performances in the league. Uh, There's a lot of things we have to we have to go our way, but at the moment everything looks really really good. 
Well, it's been great to have you on the podcast, uh, Uwe. Uh, great company as always. Uh, whilst you're uh, slightly a loose end, we'll get you on again if that's all right. <laughs> but hopefully get back into a job. Thank you for having me. And then you won't have enough time to speak to us. Um, thanks very much to, to Paul and to Harlan as well. Thanks very much to charleslilly.co.uk. Imagine, imagine Uwe gets a Premier League job and then wins against us and we don't win the title. That'd be our worst nightmare. We've asked him all them questions now. That'd be our worst nightmare. Uwe gets the Newcastle job and beats us on final day. Do Harlan, oh. the last time I won against us, I couldn't even celebrate it. I know, I know, yeah. I know. That was for Wigan, wasn't I, it? Just to explain yeah. to people. Yeah. I would oh. personally love to see Uwe on Colcoms on Sky or BT because... I could sit and listen to him for hours, talking sense, uh, not over dramatic. I'd love to see him doing a cold comms job on the on Sky TV and get rid of some of them Herberts they've got on there because it'd be so <laughs> refreshing to listen to you, Uwe. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you very kind of you. Well, thanks very much to charleslewy.com. Thank you, Harlan. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome, Uwe. Thank we'll you. eventually get this out. Chartered mortgage advisors <laughs> and uh, they are available on their website, charleslouis.co.uk. And they're very, very good, just like Uwe and just like Paul and Harlan as well. Uh, and just for you as well for listening. Thanks very much. And uh, as I always say, especially after a week like this, isn't it great to be a blue?